Welcome to the Magnificast, the podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm your co-host, Dean Detloff. And I'm your other co-host, Matt Bernico. This week on the show, we have Jim Hodgson, friend of the show, regular guy, kind of our third co-host, I guess. <laughs> um, whether he likes it or not, we're having him on enough that that is going to become the case. Uh, Jim is a, a great person to know. Uh, we've done a ton of episodes in the past talking to him about all kinds of other situations. And this time we've got him on the show to talk about Cuba on Sunday, Cuba had a referendum to uh, vote on a family code that would, among other things, expand the rights of LGBT folks on the island. And we've got Jim, who spent a long time uh, accompanying Cuba, to uh, unpack all of that for us. But before we get there, a quick note about our Patreon. Matt, can I give it over to you to give us a good advertisement for why people should fund this podcast? Yeah, absolutely. Do you like talking with other people of a like mind about Christianity, pets, recipes, and video games? I do. <laughs> oh, oh, great. <laughs> well, if you if you subscribe to our Patreon at $2 or more, you can get an exclusive invite to our very cool Discord channel. Um, and talk to the whole crew whenever you want without anyone telling you to stop. I mean, I've never told anyone to stop yet. Um, you can also, also get access to some uh, episodes a little bit early when we've got them done on time, which is occasionally. <laughs> and uh, there's also a neat behind the paywall podcast called The Lock-In, uh, where Dean and I improv our way through being fictional youth pastors and answer Reddit questions. So there you go. There it is. You can support us or you can not support us. And either way, we'll feel the same way about you. Just fine. Don't worry about it. Um, there it is, Dean. I've done it. You did it. Great job. Thanks. Uh, appreciate everybody who subscribes there, but also uh, really appreciate the insight here of Jim Hodgson in particular. Uh, excited to have him back. Let's throw it over to Jim. Uh, welcome back to the show, Jim. You've been on the show probably more than anybody else, I think. Now, Jim has become our our Latin America correspondent on the Magnificast. So if people have been listening for a long time, you've heard Jim talk about all kinds of interesting things in the past. For those, though, who maybe haven't heard you before, Jim, could you introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, why is it that we always call on you <laughs> when uh, when there's something interesting happening in Latin America? Thanks. It's really good to be back with you on the Magnificast, and uh, I, I enjoy the program and and uh, and, and these conversations. I, I, why me? Um, well, I, I am a journalist from Canada who uh, started off more than 40, 40 years ago, um, kind of in a, trying to find a space for making us a, a sort of a career, as, such as it is. Uh, among journalism, churches, and Latin America, and um, and that's taken me uh, back and forth and up and down all over the the hemisphere uh, since then in in lots of different ways. Um, and in forty years, of course, you have different employers, and uh, so in the eighties, it was uh, maybe easier to get uh, paid for the the work that I was trying to do um, in various Catholic media, but the, those spaces kind of dried up and uh uh political changes in the church quite frankly and then uh, the so ecumenical spaces became much more uh, viable uh for somebody like me and uh, eventually that led to a lot of work with the united church of canada and in 2000 they hired me to be their person um uh, working with their partners uh, in latin america and the caribbean so that what i mean by partners are uh, 
churches or development agencies have organizations that they kind of have uh, ongoing, sometimes even contractual relationships. So funding relationships, um, cooperation, collaboration, uh, solidarity uh, in in various ways. Uh, in the United Church, you know, they had uh, been working um, for for many years already with with partners in Cuba and uh, kind of. Uh, pressing the space for uh, church relationships um, uh, in socialist spaces, uh, not just Cuba, but North Korea, um, you know, and, and they're, you know, wrestling, I guess, with that uh, history of, of suspicion from the, the time of the Russian Revolution in 1917 uh, between communist movements and, um, and religion. So in, in Cuba, I think we found a space where uh, some good collaboration has developed and continues. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to you about all of these things uh, as they as they come up in this uh, referendum vote uh, in Cuba. But before we get that far, I guess we should kind of uh, set the table a little bit here. So earlier this week, Cubans voted overwhelmingly in favor of a new family code. And that, among other things, uh, will, will legalize gay marriage and adoption. Um, the amendment was previously part of an effort to adopt a new constitution in 2019, but it was taken off that referendum to strengthen support for the constitution as a whole. Um, so, I mean, in light of all of that, though, can you just give us some context around the referendum and like what it means for Cuba? Yeah, thanks. It's... it's um... It's been a long, slow process, <laughs> uh, but I guess processes of change are are that way. Um, and this one has uh, unfolded in a particularly Cuban way, and, and ultimately, I think that's been a good thing. Um, in in other contexts, uh, say Canada or Colombia. Uh, there were legal challenges brought uh, against, uh, you know, laws that excluded or marginalized uh, sexual minorities, um, LGBT, uh, IQ people, and so on. Um, and over time, uh, we won, activists won those court challenges. So the laws changed because of court challenges. In other places, it's been more a political process. Um, and uh, convincing enough legislators to change their votes. And I, I guess the Cuban one would be more like that. Uh, so, the, and, and these processes all unfolded at the same time um, in, different, in different contexts. So, um, it, all, I mean all at the same time, but at different specific paces. So, you know, like in Canada, the uh, uh, same-sex uh, sexual relations uh, were, were decriminalized in 1969. In Cuba, it was 1979. Um, in uh, the United States, it was, I think, around 2003. You know, so it's it's a long, slow process in in these different contexts. Um, in uh, Cuba, in Cuba, there had been, um, I think, at the beginning of the revolution, a kind of a, a suspicion of religion, but also of LGBT people. And uh, there was an effort in the 1960s, I think, uh, to kind of apply uh, a sort of conversion therapy or at least isolate um, um, queer people from, from the rest of society. And uh, that didn't work. Um, 
And by the 70s, uh, there was kind of a different process and, and more engagement, more, um, I, I wouldn't quite say dialogue, but, but at least not the overt repression. That by the 90s, uh, there were films uh, much more um, uh, public space um, devoted to discussion around LGBT themes. Um, but, but the big change, I guess, came, um, well, I think because of the, the leadership from the arts community, but then but the, but the responsiveness, I guess, from one organization in particular, which is called Senesex, the National Center for Sexual Education. Um, and so by the, you know, those, that period, 2005, 2010, Senesex had begun to open up space for discussion of homosexuality and, and related issues, trans issues, legal rights for sexual minorities, and so on. Um, so Senesex was led by um, a woman named Mariela Castro. And of course, you recognize the last name. She's the, the niece of Fidel Castro, uh, the daughter of Raul Castro, and of uh, Vilma Espin. Vilma Espin was the leader of the um, the founder of the Federation of Cuban Women right after the revolution, 1959. And uh, Vilma, I think, had, had the, perhaps the greatest impact on uh, the liberation of women in Cuba um, throughout these past 60 odd years. Um, and Mariela, uh, I guess following in her parents' uh, footsteps, uh, has uh, took on the, the role of uh, advocating for um, more space for LGBTI people. The, you know, Cuba in 1975 had created a new constitution, um, and that new constitution defined marriage as between a man and a woman. So the, the first challenge was, well, how do we undo the constitution? How do we change the constitution? And so that, that became kind of a, a focal point. And so I began to, uh, in my visits to Cuba, I met with Mariela a few times. I think the first time was in uh, 2012, certainly 13, 14, uh, a couple more times. Um, to, to hear about that process. Uh, and, and, and so there was a work going on by Senesex and by other organizations. And then in particular with the Cuba's parliament, the Chamber of People's Deputies. And uh, so they, they were working on, on finding some way forward for change um, a, a decade and more ago. And then um, eventually, I think, the wisdom became that um, they needed to separate out the constitutional issues from the same-sex marriage question. Um, that, that, that the same-sex marriage question became kind of like the the, the hot button hot button item in in the whole process, um, and and a way needed to be found to to manage that. And, and so they they worked towards a, a new proposal for a new constitution that didn't include the uh the, the 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 old definition of marriage is between a man and a woman um and got that approved but then at the same time they the senesex and the other organizations and the chamber of people's deputies began working towards a new family code a, a, a new family law in effect that would um rethink family relationships in a way that that would be more realistic um one of the realities in cuba uh, as in else, as in other places, is um, parent, you know, mother, father don't always stay in the same house with their kids, um, and with migration and uh, people finding employment in different places or people uh, away for extended periods of time, um, 
a new understanding, I guess, needed to, a new and broader understanding needed to be under, needed to be developed for um, for Cuban families. So you often have a grandparent and uh, and an aunt raising another uh, daughter, son's children. Um, and uh, so who who in a situation of emergency decides if if you know the mother is off in some other working as a doctor in Venezuela or something like that. How, how, how do these decisions get made? And so so the, those kinds of questions entered into it too. So like over the past um, five years or so, the focus has been on developing this new family code and they did it in a very consultative way. And I, I you know, uh, I admire that. Um, you know, people, some people complain that what Cuba did, in effect, was subject a human right to a, a, um, a plebiscite, to a referendum, what happened on, on Sunday. Um, I don't quite see it that way. It, it, it was more than just the human right to uh, equal marriage that was being talked about. It was uh, about Cubans defining uh, their, the role of family in, in their society in a, in a way that... Um, isn't caught up with old expectations of what families ought to be like, and and so that that to me is exemplary. Uh, it uh, it shows, uh, I think, a good a good process for um, for other societies that wrestle with uh, with uh, the modern family. You know, it's not it's not the way it used to be, and <laughs> it never really was. But it. Um, but we 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 uh, hid that fact under all kinds of rhetoric about you know biblical families and what have you. Yeah, there's something interesting about that too, Jim. And maybe you could talk more about it. In so much of the reporting on the the vote from Sunday, especially in Western media, and I guess even the way that we framed the beginning of this conversation, the uh, the main issue has been LGBTQ plus expansion, right, or, or the rights of those uh, those folks. But it's so much more than that, too. I mean, it is a complete redefinition of family structures, at least in a legal sense. What is a family and so on? And, you know, there's all kinds of literature in uh, kind of left wing or revolutionary discourse, even about the family and how does the family function in in uh, patriarchal relationships, capitalist relationships and so on. I mean, maybe you could talk a little bit more about that, like the the kind of function of the family code. It does so much more than uh just legalize, for instance, um, LGBT adoptions, that sort of thing. So, yeah, maybe tell us a little bit more about what does it mean to be a family in Cuba, maybe after uh, the the passing of this uh, referendum. I guess uh, I, I guess we'll see how how it unfolds, and it's coming into effect almost immediately. Uh, I, I, it's probably it'll be published in the Gazette um, tomorrow, tomorrow or today. It's it's a. Uh, um, you know they're they're ready for it. So anyway, it it does that uh, legalizing same-sex marriage and uh, recognition of civil unions. Um, uh, so the civil union would be like a, a way of understanding legally a common law relationship, uh, so that each partner has rights and responsibilities. Um, uh, that's roughly what I have with my partner in Ontario. Um, it, it, yeah, a, a civil union. Um, and uh, then the, 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 the new family law will allow, uh, same-sex couples to adopt children. It'll allow, uh, surrogate, uh, parenthood, um, and adoption. Uh, it'll allow, um, no, it'll promote, I guess, um, more equal sharing of domestic rights and responsibilities between men and women. So it's another, 
affirmation of uh, of the the roles of men and women in society. That that you know, just because the man did not uh, bear the child, uh, does not absolve him of uh, responsibility for um, for the raising of the child. And it does that uh, recognition of much more flexible types of families. I guess the reality in Cuba is that you very often have multifamily households or or families that are blended families. Um, again, siblings with children um, uh, uh, without a spouse present. Um, so, or, you know, a grandparent and, and an aunt, those kinds of things. And, and so it's just taking a step back from the traditional patriarchal nuclear notion of family and and rethinking it and uh and so that provoked um i mean even aside from the equal marriage question it, it provoked uh uh a reaction from from people who kind of wanted to uphold the the traditional notions of family and uh and particularly in in some of the religious sectors so you you ended up with quite a lively conversation going on um within and among uh churches over all of this too yeah let's talk about that piece a little bit some of the reporting around the family code referendum notes that cuba's christian right was you know in stark opposition to the family code uh which you'd expect because of um I don't know, things like gay marriage and, you know, whatever. Um, however, the largely untold part of the story is that there are also quite a few more progressive Christian voices who are urging people to vote for it. So there's these kind of interesting uh, divide um, amongst religious people in Cuba. So can you tell us how some of that worked out? Like, who are some of the major denominations who were for the code and who were against it? I guess, how does that tension look um, on the ground or or in those spaces? Yeah, I... I, I um... I'm going to try to do this without sort of, uh, you know, pinning pinning people down to uh, a permanent position now and forever. But <laughs> because uh, the I, I my experience over these past forty odd years as um, a, a, a gay Christian working back and forth um, uh, in international contexts it has been that people, uh, by and large, eventually move. Um, and the, the the long, slow, patient uh, conversations I've been privileged to be part of uh, mostly uh, work out. Yeah, there is a a hard right and is and well organized, but um, but I think that uh, reasonable conversations with the moderates win us more more ground than than hard confrontation. So I, I don't want to get too hard line on this, but but so you so you have in Cuba as elsewhere. Um, a range of uh, religious possibilities, um, and uh, within within many of them, uh, kind of um, groups that aren't the dominant group. So, so you have um, the, the 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 Roman Catholic Church, which would still be the the largest um, of the Christian denominations, and uh, you know maybe a um, reticence by the leadership to to engage in you know redefining the family or or what have you, but there are other voices, um, teachers, the the Oscar Romero Center, and and so on, who've, who've been more open on the uh, to the new family code, um, and then um, in the Protestant churches, uh, the, it does mix a bit with politics. There, there's um, a sector of the churches that, at least since the 90s, has worked fairly well with the government in a kind of a like 
let's be realistic about this uh, um, and see what we can do together for the benefit of the Cuban people. So there, you know, the, the Cuban Council of Churches, the uh, the Martin Luther King Memorial Center, um, the Presbyterian Church, mostly the um, the Federation of Baptist Churches called FEBAC, um, mostly, um, and uh, and then kind of at the other end of the current political debate, unfortunately, is the the Methodist Church. Um, which has kind of, uh, since about the late 90s, uh, become maybe the, the the church in Cuba that has tended to take the hardest line against the government on just about any topic. Um, and uh, and the same-sex marriage sets of issues have been part of that too. And I, I think it's it's fair to, I think it's fair for me to tell you uh, a bit of a story about that. The um, the United Church of Canada, where I worked for 20 odd years, uh, began its work in Latin America, mostly among um, Methodist churches. And and most of those relationships were really rich and really fruitful and and uh, uh, generally uh, progressive. We found common ground, uh, social gospel, um, understanding the world as our parish and so on. The, the engagement with uh, the whole of society uh, on political justice, human rights issues, liberation theology, and so on. Um, in Cuba, the, the Cuban church kind of took a different tack. And, uh, and you know, the Cuban Methodist church, and, and the same with the uh, Methodist church in Costa Rica. Those would be the two most conservative Methodist churches in Latin America. Uh, so the United Church had, uh, you know, in the 90s supported the... Um, in the 80s and the 90s had supported the the Methodist Church in Cuba, but as they became more conservative and as the United Church of Canada took its decision in 1988 uh, in favor of uh, inclusion um, and uh, including uh, uh, the possibility of ordination for uh, LGBTQ people, uh, the Methodist Church in Cuba broke its relationship with the United Church of Canada. And that's the only church in the world that did that. Um, because of our decision around uh, um, um, saying, uh, around uh, ordination of gays and lesbians back in the 80s. Um, so th this has been a long, long process. Um, and the Methodist Church also withdrew um, in these past 20 years from the ecumenical spaces in Cuba, um, the Cuban Council of Churches and the... Um, and the ecumenical seminary in Matanzas, and all of that is unfortunate. But, but uh, you know, I and I have I did have one occasion when I talked with the bishop, and it's it's pretty clear that he sees um, the Methodist Church in a totally different way from how other people see Methodist churches in other parts of Latin America. You know, it's just um, it's a very conservative. Uh, church and uh, much more fundamentalist than any uh, any other Methodist church I've, I've had the occasion to run across. Anyway, um, so somewhere in the middle there, you have most of the rest. And uh, so people tend to think of Pentecostal church as being uh, theologically conservative, and it's not necessarily so. Some of the Pentecostal churches were more open on the 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 marriage question and the other family code questions others were opposed uh with the, the baptists there are several different baptist 
conventions or federations and and some of them opted one way and others opted the other way so um the yeah so then the ecumenical spaces where they could where they could get at least enough consensus to be able to say something um by and large because they they are always dealing with differences uh ecumenism we're, we're, we are ecumenical or we work we we have councils of churches because we're not the same we're divided uh we need unit we need to try to come together and work out our differences so so to the extent that ecumenical organizations could could come to a consensus around the family code by and large they they came to support it and the leading voice i guess from church space was the martin luther king uh memorial center which was a organization created uh, more than 30 years ago as a space for Christians to participate in the Cuban revolution. That was its goal and that's what it continues to do. And this was another example of that. The, how can Christians participate in a choice made in the Cuban revolution for uh, a, a new and better understanding of, of family in the Cuban context? You've mentioned a, a couple of times the 90s being this sort of pivotal moment in, in both directions, right? You've been kind of uh, suggesting the 90s are this uh, time when LGBT rights are being a little more uh, publicly discussed or, or expressed in the arts and so on. And then also it's this sort of turn turning point for some other churches like the Methodists to maybe move away from that uh, affirmation or engagement. Um, you know, the 90s are a very particular moment in Cuban history, the special period after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Some people describe it as an opening up of society in response to that crisis. Open, closed are maybe not the best adjectives, it's hard to say, but um, that that period uh, in the 90s seems to have created a, a space for both uh, talking more about LGBT issues and, um, you know, religion and, and Christianity, uh, including a, a right wing and a, and a left wing of that um, what, what shifts have you noticed in Cuba, you know, in the last 20 years? And, and maybe why why do you think the 90s sort of created some of that that space or or tension or cooperation or whatever, however you might put it uh, in Cuba? Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's it's, it's kind of huge, the question. And, uh, but I, I, I think that lots of things happened in, in the 90s. Part, partly it was... Um, the, in the 80s, we had the AIDS crisis, and I think that changed uh, public perceptions uh, um, around uh, particularly gay men um, uh, pretty much around the world, uh, both maybe initially negatively, you know, Reagan and, and, and so on, and the uh, rejection of any kind of empathy or, or, or public policy that would ease the, um, ease the burden. But I think that the way that... Um, the gay men and, and our allies in the 80s responded strongly, um, uh, changed public perceptions. So that, so that had an impact, um, including in Cuba. Yeah. Um, there, yeah. And at the same time, the, the Soviet Union was reaching, um, uh, the the end of its contradictions <laughs> and by 91 had had collapsed and that created a, a crisis in cuba uh an economic crisis uh be, because i i think people look back now and say unfortunately it, be, it had become too dependent on the soviet union uh, and not engaged enough with its its more uh, immediate neighbors um so after 91 cuba uh 
began approaching the the hemisphere quite differently um and uh and i think found um partners uh in other governments um and and i think especially in civil society organizations and so so like by the by the mid 90s and the late 90s there were all these um non-governmental organizations that i don't mean the funded ones but i mean the the popular movements um labor movements women's movements uh cooperatives uh credit unions all all of those kinds of grassroots organizations that were proposing economic alternatives different approaches those were emerging all over the place um and the and the cuban the cubans found uh, allies there and support and opened up new spaces for conversations um in places like uh, brazil the landless people's movement and the urban movements and all these organizations um we're also bringing to the table the the lgbt sets of sets of questions and um because they weren't separate from the social movements in most parts of latin america so it it cracked open space with the churches i th- the the way the churches talk about this is um kind of um uh, uh let me take a couple of steps back so the like initially like after the revolution in 59 there, there was kind of a honeymoon period while everybody was trying to figure everything out uh and what might be new and then um as the 60s wore on it became a bit more confrontational not by by all churches uh but by 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 some of the churches and, and so the there the, the, it had been a cuba had been kind of a mission field for us missionaries and the us missionaries tended to leave and um and it all became kind of a, a big cold war battle um and then um in the mid 80s uh, uh a brazilian um religious uh, fray beto uh did a long interview with uh, with fidel castro about religion and that kind of i think signaled uh the possibility of opening up space um and that space really did open up in the 90s because uh partly because it was time to you know like confrontation wasn't doing anybody any good uh but by the 90s it was also clear that uh the churches in the state needed to live in the same society together and and maybe could find ways of of working to their mutual benefit um so by the 90s and that's kind of when i started getting to know uh people in cuba um the uh, the the cuban council of churches and so on um the 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 churches were saying to the state uh you know we've got capacity for teaching people for you know we gather people we can teach people we can help people we can uh maybe mobilize resources for um the benefit of the whole society uh what do you need us to do uh, and 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 the state was saying well let's let's look at some things that we can do so and i think that like in the past 30 years what what we've seen has been the churches um creating kind of uh small scale development um uh, efforts uh, they might say diakonia like the, the the greek word for service so service agencies uh so and that would be in farming healthcare um community services um uh, food like uh, meals on wheels kinds of things 
um, nutrition, uh, and and that goes on today. Uh, like one of the projects I really loved at the Cuban Council of Churches in the time I was working with the United Church was uh, work. It's work with uh, people living with disabilities, um, and I learned that people living with disabilities in Cuba, like elsewhere, uh, face um, prejudice and uh, discrimination, much the same as uh, uh, people like me, LGBT people. And, and so, um, so we've, we found common ground for, for working on uh, a, a lot of different kinds of issues uh, in collaboration among the churches and with uh, the various um, state actors. Uh, yeah, so municipalities, uh, neighborhoods, um, ministries of government, the health ministry, agricultural ministry. Um, yeah, though those were, uh, those are uh, really lively spaces for ongoing collaboration, um, even today, and hope it continues. Jim, all this context is so helpful, because as you're talking about it, you get such a different picture of Cuba than you would read in any mainstream publication in, I don't know, ever, anywhere, <laughs> in the United States, at least in North America. Um, I, I wanted to ask you this question because, um, I mean, kind of on that note, I guess. Uh, yesterday, I was I was kind of sifting through a few articles that were, was, you know, talking about the the referendum in Cuba and kind of contextualizing it, and they were all, I mean, more or less, <laughs> very strange. Um, so yesterday, the Washington Post um, had an article that came out, um, and you know, whether you read it or not doesn't really matter. But they 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 use the phrase contentious to talk about this uh, referendum. Yeah, um, listeners, you, you can't see his, his face, but Jim's making a face. Um, <laughs> I, I thought that was a particularly strange word to use, uh, having such high voter turnout and then such an overwhelmingly yes vote. Um, it doesn't sound very contentious to me. But Jim, I wonder what's your what's your perspective on that kind of thing? Um, some, you know, the Washington Post um, is a it's a mainstream <laughs> newspaper owned by Jeff Bezos, I guess, um, to, to put that into context, too. I don't know. Do you see this referendum as divisive or contentious in any sense in the Cuban people, or is it pretty like sweep, sweeping? Is it is it is it a resounding? Uh, is it as a resounding yes as it appears? Uh, I think it's a pretty resounding yes. I mean, it, it would have been contentious in the sense of um, you know different sides contested the 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 content of the family code, um, but I, I think that my experience in other places has been that um, these fights are contentious while they, um, especially in their early stages, but, but once choices are made, um, people learn to live with them. Um, in Canada, in the 19, late 80s, it was contentious for the United Church to decide to ordain uh, lesbians and gays. Uh, but in 2003, they approved same-sex marriage with one hour of debate. Um, it, uh, you know, so the 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 level of contentiousness will drop. Is my prediction. I'm trying to say I don't. I am not a propagandist for the Cuban state. I I, uh, <laughs> I respect what they've done in this case. Um, it's it's. Uh, but the other side. Let's see. There's several other sides to it. So one side would say. You don't subject human rights to a popular vote. Well, and I, I would agree. Uh, you, in the Canadian context, I wouldn't have liked to have seen a, a popular vote on um, 
on on our changes here, like in 1969 on decriminalization or uh, 2003 same-sex marriage. Uh, no, um, but uh, but in the Cuban context, the political system is is uh, rooted in c- consensus building. Um, and and I know this flies in the face of what most of us get taught. Um, but you have these uh, neighborhood associations, worker associations, women's associations, all these organizations that are meeting all the time. And they're always talking about policy. This idea, that idea, what can we do about this issue in our context? Uh, things get proposed up and down, up and down, back and forth across neighborhoods and then into cities and you know like it's a um to my mind a more engaged political society than the one i live in here um where you know we, we have a municipal election in a month and nobody knows who the candidates are you know it's um or what they stand for so uh it's so in cuba i i think this was an example of a a, a way of um building consensus um, that could be used in other kinds of societies. I mean, we're, we're a little wedded to our part of parties, political parties, as if that's the only way of, of uh, making choices. But um, I think in places where there are huge divides between people um, over, well, pick one, policing, um, what what can be done differently? Like have community conversations about that. It's it just, there are other ways of organizing societies than the one that we're, we're used to. So, so again, go back to your question, contentious. Another point of contention was um, the, the, that to some it seemed that the Cuban state was kind of um, leading too strongly or that Senesex and Mariela Castro uh, we're kind of uh, marginalizing uh, other LGBTIQ uh, voices, and and I don't agree with that either. I think everybody had the freedom to, as I did, to go and talk with Mariela or meet with the people at Senesex and you know uh, uh, join the public debate. Um, but there are some people who wanted to use the kind of this open, very open conversation as a way to score points against the government. And so there were some, um, you know, kind of, I think, well-intentioned gay people who who kind of wanted a more independent uh, or autonomous uh, set of voices um, in the face of the referendum. And, and those voices were heard. Um, but I don't think that splitting the gay movement advanced uh, our agenda or uh, did anything to um, damage the, the Cuban the Cuban, the Cuban government, or you know, it's just. But I, but I think some people also from outside try to manipulate uh, divisions within the 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 LGBT movement within Cuba, and and I think it was it was heartening to me that that uh, uh, most people didn't divide. Most people stayed with the the focus. Let's get a, a good family code approved and. Uh, and then we'll uh, work at uh, getting over the, the contentious, contentiousness later. And uh, I think I think ultimately this will bring people together more than divide them. 
You know, that makes a lot of sense um, to, to dispel that contentious rumor. Um, you know, I heard a lot of people uh, just in different sort of like journalistic um, outlets talking about like maybe it was the, the Cuban state leading too strongly. But I think something you said a minute ago is really important that the political system works differently with consensus building. And I think that that is a piece that people don't like don't understand in the United States very well. Um, would you mind talking about consensus building in Cuba and, and maybe the neighborhood associations and, and maybe just what that piece looks like? Just, you know, you have to go very in depth, but maybe just a little bit about how that happens. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a lot of direct experience. Um, so, but, but what I've seen is like, again, the Martin Luther King Memorial Center is in um, a neighborhood of Havana that's called Marianao. And it's not, uh, it's not one of the, uh, you know, the, if you see pictures of Cuba, the old classical buildings and looking very nice. And uh, um, it, it's more, you know, old working class and, and you know, kind of uh, 60 years, uh, 60 years of not enough paint um, and plaster. It's a little worn down. So it's, it's not a rich neighborhood. Yeah, well, there are no rich neighborhoods in Cuba, but it's, but do you see what I mean? It's, it's like not a, not an area where where there are families who've lived there for uh, eighty or a hundred years in in their parents' house, and it's in a good a good neighborhood. It's 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 more yeah, it's it's more marginalized than that. So Martin Luther King Center is in that neighborhood. It's housed in the Baptist church, and um, part of the work is you know this you know, kind of macro level Latin America economic justice and um peace in colombia and civil society everywhere in the world social forum and all of that but another part of the work is like the community that they live in and and so it's engaging with the community and uh, enabling strengthening people so that they can engage with the system as it exists so that's what they they try to do they and not just in that neighborhood but in other neighborhoods is um okay there's this issue about a road or a hospital or whatever how can you have your voice heard? Um, how can you join in a conversation about uh, what ought to happen, what you think ought to happen? Um, and and uh, other places where I've seen this go on uh, have been in, in the, the city of Matanzas, which is a, a small city east of Havana, where the ecumenical seminary is. Um, and so there, there was this really interesting initiative by... Uh, by the local Afro-Cuban community and LGBT people to create a, a, or to renovate an old neighborhood. Um, and uh, Matanzas is, uh, you know, sort of historically described itself as the the Athens of Cuba, and uh, and it does have some interesting architecture. It's true, uh, but but a lot of it is run down. So it, this coalition of um, Queer people and uh, and Afro Cubans came together to renovate a neighborhood, and they and they've done it beautifully. Um, and again, it's like uh, two groups that maybe have overlaps, but don't always create alliances in in, in our contexts in North America. They did this thing, and it's so beautiful to go and visit there. Uh, the, the, and and it's all about building relationships and community across divisions, um, coming up with proposals together. I mean, that that 
that to me is um, the hopeful side of, of Cuban socialism, that, that it um, takes people out of the kind of automatic uh, partisan bickering uh, that we live with all the time and into a space where um, maybe consensus is a big word, but, but at least you can get um, to a greater understanding across, across uh, differences. So I, I, I don't know, I feel, I feel kind of optimistic. I know there are other voices that look at Cuba now and they feel like, oh, maybe it's getting to the end. And I, but I still don't feel that. I feel much, uh, I have a lot more faith in the Cuban people and their, what they've learned through these 60 years that they'll be able to find um, good ways to uh, imagine their future together. Um, That's a great note, uh, for sure. <laughs> Something to take away. Um, you know, I'm just thinking about uh, also your own experience that you've alluded to as well, being a, a gay Christian from Canada, navigating what that's like here, and also going to Cuba, creating these relationships and discerning what that's like for uh, the partners that you're working with. You know, how are you feeling just yourself about the referendum after Sunday? Does that sort of, uh, I guess, maybe continue to uh, to put some some logs on that fire of optimism or kind of, you know, what's your own hope as somebody who's kind of accompanied uh, that that island for so long in the way that you have? Yeah, I, I think um, I, I do feel a lot of hope. I, I think there, there there's a couple of things, you know, like everywhere um, we have. Uh, decisions that are that are made and you know you 1969 you legalize uh, same-sex relations uh but the discrimination continued um for for many years and i mean arguably there's still discrimination now you know um but it's a hell of a lot better than it was so um so in cuba i think there's still a lot of work to do um in kind of the the grass it's not quite grassroots education. The education that uh, provokes change in how people behave in like hospital emergency rooms or police stations or in public parks, you know, those places where um, where um, queer people come into contact with um, officials, schools, how do how do teachers manage bullying? Um, this is still an issue, of course, here. Uh, in Canada as well, um, and in the states. Uh, so, so it's the that 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 work still has to continue in Cuba. Um, and and you know, I think some of my friends would say things like, uh, "Yeah, it's all very well that we changed these laws; it's good, but the but until things change in, in the way the police treat people in parks or or the ways that people are treated at the emergency room, then um, nothing has changed. And I hear you, I hear that, but it's still a, a process uh, to to undergo. Now, I guess I also feel like um, the, the this Cuban example is, is a good one for other places where change is still very difficult, um, you know, and, and I've, other, <laughs> the, the, the neighboring, states in the Caribbean, uh, places like Jamaica, um, which is having a, a really long, slow uh, process of, of change on, on these issues. Um, I think they'll get there eventually, but it's, um, but the, the churches in Jamaica are reluctant to um, say anything about uh, 
about human rights for LGBT people because they know that the next thing after that would be uh, equal marriage, and they're not they don't want to go there. Um, and to, to my mind, um, and, and it's not so much that like again, I talk with a, a certain slice of churches, so it's people who might on their own want to go there, but they're afraid of the backlash from more conservative sectors um, if their church took a more open or progressive position uh, because the the kind of the dominant way of being Christian in in, um, Jamaica continues to be quite a conservative one. Uh, So at least on these uh, so-called moral issues. uh, So again, I think over time, um these changes will come and that the cuban experience right now is uh a helpful one even in places where the the conversation is much more difficult like in um uh jamaica the the some some of the other caribbean countries are making uh slow steps forward belize uh, trinidad and, and a few others uh, and the others will come along eventually too it's just it's just going to take a while yeah, you know, Cuba is often looked at as a, I don't know, like a, a source of hope and change and progress in Latin America. And uh, obviously, that's a complicated story. Sometimes it's ahead or, or behind, depending. But, we, you know, we were talking in a different context, Jim, recently about how this referendum relates to um, other efforts on the continent of Latin America uh, related to LGBT rights. Um, you know, for instance, in Colombia was the story you were telling me uh, where... Um, legislatively, there's been maybe more progress uh, earlier, but uh, in terms of the society itself, it, it has not uh, progressed. And so, you know, what do you what's your, kind of your sense maybe of what this referendum means for for the region in general, especially as Latin America is currently kind of in a big foment of, of change and left wing energy at the moment? Uh, do you think that something like this will reverberate through those struggles or what's your sense of that relationship now? Yeah, yeah, I think it'll have have some impact, and it, it's a uh, like for 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 LGBT movements in Latin America. I think this is a a, a good step, and it'll be uh, understood as, as exemplary in other in other contexts. So you you have um, places where you know like the the laws in Argentina or Colombia are pretty good now, but the the reality continues to be of a, of a lot of violence directed against um, uh, gays, lesbians, bisexuals, uh, trans people. Uh, a, a minister of the Lutheran Church in Argentina was murdered within the past year. Uh, the the numbers of trans people murdered in um, uh, Brazil and uh, Colombia are still the highest numbers in the world, you know. The, 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 so um, now there's an election coming up uh, very soon in Brazil, um, and it it may produce some change. I heaven knows. I hope so. Um, and uh, I think that the the to the extent that you get a, a change of leadership at the top, that creates space for other changes to go on um, in in the whole society. So. And maybe the time is more ripe now than it was um, 20 years ago and 
and 10 years ago when um, when the left was in power in uh, Brazil before uh, for further change to benefit um, uh, LGBT people. Uh, you have places like Venezuela and, and Nicaragua, you know, other places that um, maybe try to be socialist and maybe still struggle uh, over because because the because of deep divisions and some of those divisions are are um, pressed from outside, but they haven't uh, maybe moved um, in as fulsome ways on uh, LGBT sets of questions as they could have. And uh, um, so my experience in, in those places has been uh, it would make me think that the Cuban experience now will help them take further steps and they'll be more uh, courageous um, in uh, in finding ways of of, of including their um, including people who are who are different from the majority. Um, I, I, I've had good conversations in both places with legislators. Um, it's just uh, they've got other things on their plate. I, I understand that too. Well, uh, that's a pretty hopeful note, I think, to end on. Um, unfortunately, we are kind of uh, at the end of the hour, uh, though I think I would like to ask Jim a thousand more questions about Cuba and Latin America, um, maybe a different time, though. Uh, Jim, I do know you keep a blog uh, with some of your reflections and uh, writing about development and solidarity. Do you want to tell people where to find that? Sure. It's uh, it's pretty easy to find. It's unwrappingdevelopment.ca. Uh, so altogether, unwrapping development. Um, the idea being um, a kind of play on words. Development is is a word that means, if you go to its root, uh, developing, you know, unwrapping. Uh, so unwrapping development. What do we mean when we talk about development? So if you look for unwrappingdevelopment.ca or Jim Hodgson, uh, Cuba, it'll it'll pop up fairly quickly. <laughs> hey, Google Jim Hodgson Cuba will find the find the blog. That's great. Well, thank you, Jim, again, as always, for spending some time with us. Uh, I think it's probably obvious why you've become our, our Latin America correspondent here in the Magnificast, but always uh, so grateful just to be able to hear your perspective and the experience that you have. And I know our, our listeners often we get a really good response from when we have you on just being able to unwrap some of that development with us. So thanks for coming back. And I'm sure it will not be the last time. Thanks. It's really great to talk with you both and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks for listening to The Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash The Magnificast. If you didn't like what you heard, well, then take your headphones off and throw them in a lake. Um, but you probably didn't. You probably liked it, right? You wouldn't have gotten this far hating this podcast. That would have been wild. Our intro music, however, is by Mario Armstrong. Our outro music is by The Illogical Spoon. And we'll see you next week. Church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up. Keep your hoods up and you stay up late in Jackson. You keep your hoods up, well you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might.
mind if you leave too soon So come on now, it's still early At least I would have saw 